And if you haven't been with us, we've been navigating through a series through the life of a man by the name of David. David has been selected to be the next king of Israel. There's a man by the name of Saul who was the first king of Israel, but uh, was not obedient to the Lord. And so uh, God selected a man after his own heart. David, uh, as many of you know the story, went off and he fought a giant named Goliath, took him down with a sling and a stone, chopped his head off, and then became ultimately famous amongst all of Israel. The people loved him. They thought he was great. Uh, He was an individual who really had a passion for the Lord, and uh, God was just doing some amazing stuff in him and through him. He ended up having his best friend by the name of Jonathan, and then uh, he ended up marrying Saul's daughter, uh, Michael, and in the process of this, Saul became very jealous, and we talked about this last week. Saul hunted David down. He wanted to take his life. He was done with him and tried to, was willing to take him out and to kill him. And David, last week, as we looked at this, was a man of deep conviction and integrity, and although he had the opportunity to do it, he refrained from doing that. So that gets you caught up from the last about five, six weeks of sermons. Uh, if you ever want to pick those up, uh, I'd encourage you to just read through First Samuel, or you can always get the, uh, the sermons online uh, at a different date. So before we jump into this, would you uh, just bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, we are just so grateful and thankful for the opportunity to be here today. And just ask right now that your presence would be felt, that you would move mightily in our midst, that our ears would be attentive, and that our hearts would be opened. God, that you would just keep anything that would distract us from what you want to do today at bay, and that we would give you our full attention. So Lord, we just confess we want your will to be done in this place and in our lives, and I pray for each and every one of us that we would walk away with something that we believe we've heard from you through your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, the date was in 1990, November the 3rd. There was a pretty young 14-year-old girl and a dashing Latino boy. <laughs> Their names were Brian and Rachel. Soon to... <laughs> anyway, uh, they both went to Argonaut High School, and um, before that, Rachel and I had been talking. We had known each other since roughly the seventh grade, went to school together for one year, and then over the course of our eighth grade to our freshman year, over the summer there, we were talking a lot on the phone, and she went to a different high school to start out, and then about a month and a half in, came to Argonaut, and through the process of that, we started talking again, and I don't know if it was her or I, but one of us said, why don't we go out and uh, have an evening together, and so we went to the movies in Jackson because back then, there were really two things to do in Jackson, and that was to go to the movies or to go bowling, which actually is the same two things we can do today. So uh, nothing has changed a whole lot. So we went to the movies, and i got to be honest with you, I have no clue what the movie is that we saw, but as the lights dimmed and as we sat there, and then at one point we kind of turned and locked eyes with one another, and this moment happened where we leaned into one another and we kissed each other for the very first time. And here's the reality of that. My children are throwing up in the front row at this stage of the game. (laughs) And I don't recommend 14-year-olds doing that, but the point of the story is emotions. Oh, it was just such a night filled with emotions. I remember I I didn't know what to say, so I kind of stopped and looked at her for a moment. I said, "Uh, so uh, do you want to like go out uh, all the time? I didn't know. I was so foolish. I didn't know what I was doing. But I remember the drive home as her parents picked her up and, and my parents picked me up and, and we heading home and just thinking, oh my goodness, this is love, right? Or whatever is going on and all the feelings and the emotions and the, and the joy that you get in a, an experience like that. And, and, and life is filled with emotions like that. For some of us, maybe I know there's some of you in here that are recently married and, and it's just been a joy-filled time and it's been something that's just been amazing for you. Maybe for you it's a, a, something of a new job or a, a, some financial blessing that you have received that just gives you joy in your life. Maybe, maybe it's the addition, something into your family, or, or maybe you've won a big game, maybe you athletically have done great for some of you high school students, maybe you're doing just stellar in your classes, maybe you got accepted to a college. I mean, we could go down the list of a multitude of things, and it probably wouldn't take too long for you to go, oh, this was a moment that was just a, a, an emotionally filled moment for me that was great. Maybe for some of you, it's just experiencing peace in your life right now. Maybe for the very first time, it's been a long time since you've just had calm and completeness and wholeness, and you just love that feeling, and living in that can be a powerful thing. But the truth of the matter is, emotions can be pretty dangerous as well. For instance, if you take a spouse who's not feeling loved any longer, 
or maybe the excitement of marriage has weared off after seven years, 10 years, 14 years, whatever it may be. And then they start looking around on the internet or touching base with somebody again over text messages or emails or whatever that may be can lead to some very bad decisions, maybe even ultimately to adultery. Maybe it's greed in somebody's life of the ability or the desire, this passion to, I want more stuff, and that more stuff has created an environment of wanting more money, so working more, and you don't even realize it, but you're missing out on the benefits of life. Maybe for some of us, it's fear, allowing it to control our lives, and it becomes disabling. Can't do anything. Maybe for some of us, it's worry. And we don't enjoy life anymore because we're always concerned about something. And, and you want so desperately to have peace in your life. But then where that ultimately leads you is choices like drugs and alcohol and decisions that don't lead you to a healthy place. And here's the reality. We all know it. That temporarily solves the problem. But the next day, you're still you. It's the old saying of no matter how far you run, you're still there, right? You still got to deal with you. Or maybe, to be honest, it's depression in your life and the emotions of that leading to thoughts that are not productive of maybe suicidal even, or maybe even anger, which turns to rage. And maybe you've had some moments where you've had an outburst. Maybe it's in your own home, so it's not been quite so embarrassing. Maybe for some of us it's been in public and it's been on display for all to see. And, and the truth of the matter is maybe even for some of us it's reached levels of extreme proportions. As a matter of fact, you turn on the news, it doesn't take long that you see behaviors of people that are running on negative emotions and energies that lead to them doing some destructive things. As a matter of fact, even our own community over the last few years has been rocked by decisions that have been made fueled by emotions. And I want to share with you a story this morning out of 1 Samuel chapter 25 of a moment in David's life that could have potentially ruined him. A, a moment where he is fueled by emotions that are negative and not of God, and yet he is about to do and make one of the biggest mistakes of his life. And the lessons that I believe that we can glean through this. So if you have your Bibles open, 1 Samuel chapter 25. And I just want to say that up to this point, it seems like David has been this ideal man of God. God defines him as a man after his own heart, so you know that he is a guy who has a heart for the Lord. He seems to do everything well. God has given victories uh, facing giants. Even in a moment where he could have taken out the king who was seeking his life, he did the right thing and did it well, and did it in a way that honored the Lord. And now we see a moment of weakness, just one chapter after that experience in 1 Samuel 25. It says this in verse 1, Now Samuel died, and all of Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Samuel was the prophet of the day. He was the religious guy of the day, the spokesman for God, if you will. He was, in many ways, David's counselor, the one who anointed him to be king over Israel, next in line after Saul. And now Samuel is dead. Then David moved down into the desert of Moan. A certain man in Moan who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. When the Bible says that a man is very wealthy, guess what? He is very wealthy wealthy. And did you catch where he lived? Carmel. Isn't that odd, right? Isn't it so fitting that in our culture in our day, when you think of Carmel, this is a guy who probably has the house on the beach looking over the ocean. This guy has it all. And it says this, he had a, a thousand goats and he had 3,000 sheep. Just to name some of his animals, I mean, we're going to put this into perspective. And he was shearing them in Carmel. His name was Nabal. And his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, a Calebite, was surly and mean in his dealings. We get the two key actors right now, if you will, in the, in the screenplay, Abigail and her husband, Nabal. Nabal is a man who is shrewd in his dealings. He's not kind. He's extremely wealthy. He's probably taken advantage of a lot of people. And it's almost this counter individual of his wife. And she is beautiful, and she is intelligent. He's the guy who would be on the photograph of the world's rich and famous. His wife, Abigail, is, she's stunning, but she's also brilliant. And so it's kind of this perfect ideal, maybe celebrity couple, if you will. It seems like it's all good and all together. And I want to share something with you guys, gentlemen. If you're looking to marry a wife, 
Beauty is an, can be an important thing, but not on the externals of what I'm talking about. I'm talking on the inside. And far more, far better to have intelligence than just a beautiful wife to look at. We're going to see that in just a moment. So if you are married to a beautifully intelligent woman, actually, why don't somebody uh, say yes to that? If you are, good job, man. Well done. I'm helping you out here. So happy Valentine's Day. Um, <laughs> verse 4. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and to your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now let me just pause for a moment because David is now has a following of roughly 600 men that are with him. He has been out in the desert. He is running from Saul still, and he hears about Nabal. He is doing some shearing. This was a time of the year that was a celebratory, a festival time. It was a time when a big parties were thrown. It was rejoicing in what God had given, and Nabal is shearing all these sheep, all these animals. He's got tons. You know there's a big party going on, and David says, hey, I want to tell you something. I want to send 10 to my men and ask him for something. Now, I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my young men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. And when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. Hey, Nabal, we're here on behalf of David. He sends his greetings. We just want to let you know, I hope that you're experiencing great health. May the Lord prosper you and your household. And here's the deal. When we were out with your shepherds, all of our guys protected your men. We didn't steal anything. We didn't do anything negative. As a matter of fact, we helped them all out. So we're encouraging you at this stage of the game. You, we know you're having a big party. Can you spare us some food? Can you give us a little bit of, uh, of nourishment? Because we've been out in the desert for a long time, and that would be a great appreciation for us and for our service to you. It's, it's kind of, if you will, the tip after you've eaten your dinner. Yet you don't necessarily have to do it, but you're kind of a jerk if you don't, if you know what I mean. And at the bottom it says 18%, 20%, 25%. It gives you some suggestions. David is just simply saying, hey, we looked after your men and after all your sheep and after all your flocks. Can you give us a little bit of something in return in this season? And this is what Nabal answered. Who is this David? And who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and my water and the meat that I have slaughtered for my shears, and give it to men coming from who knows where. So David's men turned around, and they went back. Now let me share with you something that Nabal could have done. He really had four choices. Number one, he could have said, hey, thank you for your blessings. I remember I heard that your David's men were all about helping us out, and so here, I'd like to give you an abundance of food just to say thank you, and sent them on their way. Would have been a great moment. Nabal, second choice, could have said, hey, you know what? Thanks. I'm going to be a little stingy here, but off you go. Here's some stuff. Enjoy that. Thank David for me. The third option. He could have said, thanks for your service, but I'm not giving you a thing. Or option D, he, he could have said, get out of here and insulted David and all of his men and said, I don't ever want to see your guys' faces again. And Nabal gave option D because Nabal is a fool. And I'm not just saying that. That's what his name means. How would you like to be the parents of that guy? Ah, Nabal. <laughs> That's what his name means, and we're going to discover that in a moment. A foolish, foolish decision. So David, David's uh, men turn around, they go back, and they give word to David. They report every word that Nabal says. I don't know how. I, I wish I could have seen that. Of what, well, what did he say, and where's the goods? Well, he said, who are you, and who's the son of Jesse, and you're running away from your master, and he's not going to give us anything. And I want you to see what happens next. So it says, David said to his men, put on your swords. Oh, do you feel that? It's almost this moment of, he said, who are you, what are you about? He's not giving you nothing. And I can almost see David just standing there. 
And can you hear it? Put on the swords, boys. Right? That's what it is. Mount up. We're going to get somebody. Right? It is like a Western film that is unfolding here. He says, put on your swords. So they put on their swords, and David put on his sword. And about 400 men went up with David, with 200 staying with the supplies. Uh, maybe a little overkill. You would he got Nabal, his wife, a couple of servants, and a lot of sheep. Why do you need 400 guys? Because David's ticked. He's ticked off. So he's mad. Everybody's mounted up. They're heading off, and they're going to take this, guy's, this guy out. And in verse 14, one of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, now she comes back into the scene, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings. But he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. They took care of us. They did a great job. They surrounded us night and day. They were a wall around us all the time. We were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. I don't know if this young servant had a divine appointment from the Lord, or if he was just a smart guy that knew, if I was from David and I heard that message, I'd come back and I'd be looking for somebody's head. And we're in trouble. And so he goes and he talks to the wife because he knows that the husband is not the brightest and not the smartest, and he's not gonna listen to him. So what happens? Abigail loses no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seas of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on a donkey. Now, I don't know what a fig cake looks like, but doesn't that sound, anybody hungry right now? I mean, I'm just wanting something to eat. And then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, there was David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. Now, here's the thing that a lot of times we don't appreciate because we read through the rest of the story and we don't think about the moments, but think about that moment when Abigail is there with a donkey loaded up with a bunch of stuff and maybe a couple of servants, and she says, go and meet him first and I'll be right there. And 400 guys start coming down this ravine and they're men who are angry and they're men who are hungry. And that is a terrifying moment for a lady who is vulnerable. And she's standing right there and this is the moment where these two intersect. And David had just been saying this. It's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his is missing, he has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Do you see what's happening in David's life? He had a moment where, yeah, that guy insulted me and now I'm ticked. And now that begins to fester and to brew as he's getting ready to go and meet this guy and killing him himself. And then he says, you know what? Forget just him. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take out every male in his household, every male servant that he's got. I'm gonna wipe this guy clean. I'm done with him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey. She bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, my Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. He is a fool, and folly goes with him. Hey, it's bad enough that you're named that. Now your wife is even saying, this guy is a dummy. Don't pay attention to him, David. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. Now, since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm you, my master, be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my master be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for your, the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master, because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. 
When the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master success, remember your servant. This is the moment of petition. David, please, I know what you're going to do. Don't do it. And David said to Abigail, delicious fig cake. No, he doesn't say that. He says... Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come to me quickly, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought, all the food, and the men, I'm sure, were eating it. Go home in peace. I have heard the words and granted your request. By the way, you are a fantastic cook. You're beautiful and you're wise. Go on and head on home. And when Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was high in spirits and he was very drunk. So I just want to pause for just a brief moment and just talk to you about something out of the scriptures. I can't recall a time where I've read anything out of the Bible when being drunk was a good thing and being drunk created good decisions. As a matter of fact, I see through the scriptures that God says, do not be drunk with wine. And I know some of you right now are like, well, that's fantastic. I drink beer, so I don't have to worry about that. Can I just share with you just a a heartfelt moment, a pastor-to-person moment? I think God knows what he's talking about when he says, don't get drunk. There's a lot of poor decisions and poor choices. Poor things are done in those moments. And it's not for God's holy people to be that way. He says that. I want to encourage you today. If that's something that's a part of your life, really work to say, that's not going to be the avenue that I go down. And I hear me out. I'm not saying you cannot enjoy a, a glass of wine. That's not what we're saying here. But according to the scriptures and drunkenness, And as I see it throughout the scriptures, when people are drunk, it never goes well. And can I share something else with you? God's intentions of his commandments are not to prevent you from enjoying your life. They're designed to protect you from ruining your life. That's good. I should have written that down. That was really good. (laughs) They're not to prevent you from having joy in your life. They're to protect you from ruining your life. They really are. He's drunk and he's high in spirits. So she told him nothing that evening until daybreak. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all of these things and his heart failed him and he became like stone. Most scholars believe he either had a heart attack, maybe he had a stroke and and his face was permanently fixed in a certain manner that he couldn't smile, he couldn't make expressions. He was like stone in that moment. Could it be the news that as soon as she said, hey, David was here with 400 of his guys, they were about ready to take you out. Could it be that you went and you did this and you didn't share anything with me? You just did it on your own, Abigail? What were you thinking? We don't know what the reasons were, but it's what transpired. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. He loves your fig cakes, so would you please marry him? And if you continue to read on, she does. Now, I know some of you are sitting here right now and you're saying to yourself, we have not even gotten into the outline yet. How long are you going to be talking today, Brian? And I'm so glad you asked. So would you open that up in your outline? I want to give you a couple of truths about the danger of running our lives on emotion because we see three huge examples here of what to be and what not to be. The first one is this. It's a Nabal moment, an example to avoid. Number one, don't be a cheap arrogant fool. Would you just say that with me? Don't be a cheap, arrogant fool. Don't do it. Don't be a cheap, arrogant fool. This guy, Nabal, that is what his name is known for. He is cheap. Does anybody know anybody who's a cheapskate around here? Please don't elbow your husband right now. You probably do. Anybody who's arrogant, 
Anybody who's foolish. Look at his, his statements in verse 3. This is what it says. His name was Nabal, which we learn later means fool. And his wife's name was Abigail. She was intelligent and beautiful, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a cheapskate with people, trying to rip people off all the time. Verses 10 through 11, Nabal answered David's servants, who is David and who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take and catch this? My bread and my water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to the men coming from who knows where. This guy is a money-hungry guy who thinks he owns it all. And the truth of the matter is, I want to tell you something today. It's not yours. Because I'm going to encourage you this morning. You may not have known this, but the death rate for human beings, one out of one. You are going to die unless Jesus comes back first. And guess what's going to happen to all your stuff? You're not taking it with you. Your bank account doesn't follow you. As the old saying goes, there's no hearse or excuse me, there's no U-Haul behind a hearse, right? You don't get to take it with you because it doesn't really belong to you to begin with. And some of us are so money-hungry and we're so tight-fisted with stuff that God says, I want to build generous people. Be a generous, a giving person, not somebody who's stingy and trying to get out in every deal and make it the best for you. Be somebody who's a giver. Why? Because God is a giver. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it this way, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things you invest in, that's where your heart's gonna go to. You spend a ton of money on your house, on your boat, on your car, on your possessions, on your bank account, that's where your money's gonna, you invest in eternal things, guess what, your heart is gonna go towards that. And please don't hear me out and saying, oh, this guy's gonna talk about money and how we need to give to the church. You don't need to give to the church. We're not in some hard position or anything along those lines. I would just encourage you, God wants his people to be generous. You wanna know why? Because he's a generous God. And he wants us to be like him. Don't be a cheap, arrogant fool. The last verses of Nabal's life is this. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our masters greetings, but he insulted them. He hurled insults at them. Yet the men were very good to us. Disasters coming over us, our master and our whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. He's a guy who is so full of himself, he is never wrong. Do you know somebody like that in your life today? Again, no elbows, no eye contact right now because it's not a good place to be. And what if Abigail could have come and talked some sense into him? What if a servant could have come and talked some sense to him? What if your employees can come and talk some sense to you? What if your spouse can come and talk some sense into you? I jokingly say this, but when I got married to my wife, Rachel, I received the second Holy Spirit in my life. And I don't say that in a negative way. I say that in an affectionate way. I love my wife. God speaks. He speaks through his word. He speaks through prayer. He speaks through people. And he speaks through circumstances. I firmly believe that. But you know who is the most important sounding board in my life from a human? It's my wife. And guess what? She is beautiful and she's wise. Whoa! Right? So she... <laughs> the Lord blessed me. I'm... It's true. And I want to tell you something, husbands. If you have a brilliant wife who you do not listen to, you are a dummy. You are a dummy. I'm just going to tell you that. And wives, if you have a brilliant husband who you do not listen to, I don't know. I'm not going to say that about you. So <laughs> I love my life. So, but the reality is be a person who listens to the mate that God has given to you, especially if they are a follower of Jesus Christ. Because that's the way God's designed this to be. That in a moment of decision, in a moment of, 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 of questioning, that you can go to your spouse and go, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think God would have us to do here? And that you would listen to that advice. Can I just share something? Do not be a cheap, arrogant fool. Is that in yet? You guys gotten that? Don't be a Nabal. 
The second thing is this. Abigail, she is a model of wisdom. And how did she model wisdom in her life? The first is this. Wisdom takes action. Would you say that with me? Wisdom takes action. Look at what happens in verse 18 when the servant comes and says, this is what is coming. Our, the master, your husband, went out and insulted David and all the men. They're going to come and they're going to take our lives. And what does it say? Abigail acted quickly. She starts doing kind of the Chipotle catering business like right out of the gate. She's just like, let me whip all this stuff out. And the reality is what she's probably doing is taking some stuff that she's already been uh, preparing that was for this great feast that Nabal was throwing. And she's taking that and she's going to give it to David. But she takes action. She does something. She loads up the donkeys and she goes to meet with him. How many of you realize that there is a lot of smart, intellectual people in our world who are not very wise? It's not about information here. There's a lot of great people in, that know a lot of stuff and can fill, tell you a whole lot of details about things and information that is interesting. But you look at their lives and you go, but you don't live a very wise life. Wisdom is put into action. It's what I love about our financial peace class on uh, the Sunday nights that we just kicked off on. And I'm, I'm so thrilled we've got about 96 people that are involved with that, that have committed to be a part of that. And with that in mind, one of the big things is I, I think that these are individuals, at least I hope you're all individuals, that are saying, we want to get our finances in a manner that honors the Lord and to be wise and to live that out. Because we can talk about it all day long. But it's something different when we actively live that out. The second thing is this, wisdom remains humble. Would you just say that with me? Wisdom remains humble. I won't read the verses there. We've already read them. But when Abigail meets David, her first moment as she bows down and gets down on by his feet, she begins to petition him as a servant. She uses that word multiple times. She's not being boastful or arrogant or telling David that he's in the wrong and about what he's about to do because wisdom is not arrogance. And if you think you're wise here today and you've got a puffed up head and you're big and proud, you're not wise. Abigail's wisdom was demonstrated through her humility and through her action. And the last person that I want to talk about is the one I want to spend the most time with. It's David. I don't know if you've ever come across, and I'm sure we all have, where you drive down to a scene where you've seen two cars collide with one another or three cars or four cars potentially, and you look on the road, and even as you're driving by, you can hear particles crunching under your tires, pieces of plastic from the car, maybe even metal, light, light uh, fragments that have been shattered and all over the place. And there's unfortunately been some times that we've seen some doozies, and I'm like, wow, this is just a mess. And can you only imagine, I've never seen this personally, but when two trains collide or something along, the mess and the, the debris that is everywhere. And yet the truth of the matter is, if we're not careful for some of us, you're heading for a train wreck, not on, not on a train, but in your life. There's going to be debris everywhere if you're not careful, just like there would have been for David if he would have done what he wanted to do. And I'm wondering if for some of us today, God has brought you here to say, I'm trying to prevent you from doing something that's going to destroy your life any further, to ruin it anymore. David's the example. The first is this, learn to guard my emotions. Would you say that with me? Learn to guard my emotions. David's men, they come back, they tell David the word, and he says, first thing out of his mouth, he doesn't even have to think about it, get your swords ready, we're all going, into, we're going to get this guy into Carmel. That's what we're going to do. So they all do it, they're all readied up, they get out there, 400 of his men are with them, and he's so mad that along the way, I think he's just thinking, what else can I do? I'll take out every man, I'll take out every male in that guy's household, and I'm wondering if he had even more time to do it, if he would have just said, let's just wipe them all out, I'm done. That guy's a jerk, and he needs to be taken out. He needs to pay for what he's done. And if we're not careful, that's what the enemy does in our lives, right? You ever been there? Where all of a sudden something happens and anger starts floating around and you just start replaying the scene over. If you had the moment of what you'd really like to say and it just keeps stewing there and stewing there and stewing there. And I think the enemy just looks and goes, ha ha, I got Brian right where I want him and I'm all wound up, starting to go down a road that I shouldn't go down. I know you've been there because we've all been there. And it might not be with anger. It might be with something totally different. James chapter 1, verse 19, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. As a matter of fact, I like it so much, I'd like you to read it with me if you don't mind. 
says this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Did you catch what he said? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That we would calm ourselves. That God has given you two ears and one mouth for a reason. That you would listen more than you talk, right? And that your anger would not get the best of you because it's not going to bring about the righteous life that God desires. So guard your emotions. How do I do that? What's a practical step? Can I just share with you, I think the, the best step that I know, pray first, respond later. Just to stop in that moment and just to take a moment to pray and ask God, Lord, am I justified in being as angry as I am? Is this the right place where I should be? Is my attitude appropriate right now? What if David would have done that? And here's the thing that's crazy. If you go back just a few chapters before, David is a man who is consistently praying before he makes decisions in his life. God, should I go here? And he seeks God out. And he's even concerned because some of the men say, let's not do that. Some of his own men, let's not do that, David. I don't feel comfortable. So he goes back to God and he asks God again, I don't want to be driven by my men or my own personal feelings. God, is this what you want me to do? God says, that's what I want you to do. And so David obeys. In another circumstance, the same thing happens. He is a man of prayer seeking after God, except in this moment here, right? He gets mad, strap on your swords, and God is not mentioned until Abigail comes on the scene. What if we just stopped and prayed first? God, I'm angry. Do I have a right to be angry? God, I'm fearful. Why am I fearful? Is it that I don't trust you? Is it that there's something that needs to be changed in me? God, would you do a work in my heart and in my life first before I just start running on emotion here? God, I'm hurt. And I feel pain. And instead of jumping over to alcohol and drugs or some other addiction to fix that problem, would you begin to heal me from the inside out? And you can go down the list of a whole slew of emotions. How much better, wiser decisions would we be making if we prayed first and responded later? Solomon, David's son, would later write, above all else in the book of Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flows the wellspring of life. Guard it. I'm wondering if there may be some of us here today that God is saying it's time to guard those emotions because they're getting the best of you. The second thing is this, yield to God's warning signs. Would you just say that with me? Yield to God's warning signs. David said to Abigail, and this is interesting that David recognized this, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Do you see the act of God in David's life? Do you see that it is God who is working in Abigail, that he is sending her to tell David, hey, there's a big stop sign here. Before you go and ruin yourself, before you go and do something that is going to be impacting the rest of your days, before you're gonna have this on your conscience for the rest of your life, here's a big stop sign. Don't shed innocent blood, David. Don't do it. It's like a big red light going off, a yellow light and a red light in David's life. Don't go down this road. And if you wanna avoid some train wrecks in your life, can I encourage you here today? I do believe this wholeheartedly, that if God, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God's ultimate desire for you is to be holy as his son is holy, as he is holy. He wants us to live holy lives. And so if we are going down paths of sin, he's gonna give us blocks at times. He's gonna give us stop signs. He's gonna give us red lights. And we have a choice to what to do in that moment. We can keep our foot on the gas and plow right through it. And we all know what happens. You might get by a couple of times and then sure enough, it's gonna catch up with you. Or you can heed his advice and his warnings and say, I'm going to put on the brakes here because I'm heading in a direction in my life that I don't want to go. God gives us warning signs through people, much like he did with Abigail. I wonder if maybe you're here today and God has put somebody in your life who keeps speaking truth to you and is trying to tell you, please don't go down this road. It's going to ruin your life. If you thought this thing through and you keep wanting to do your own thing, Maybe God's brought some circumstances into your life that are, things are spiraling out of control and God's saying, before it gets worse, I'm giving you these warning signs. Respond to it. Maybe it's, maybe it's just something in your own spirit that you feel like, this is not comfortable. I'm uncomfortable. 
And somebody has once well said that God doesn't allow his children to sin easily. I, I believe that. That at first he's going to start putting some signs up to go, don't do it. And why would he do that with David? Because David's going to be the next king and God can't have a king who just goes off with his anger and does whatever he wants to do. He's trying to prep him. He's trying to prepare him. And so can I get a little personal here this morning with some of us? Because for some of us, we're allowing our emotions to take us down some roads that are going to be, lead us to a train wreck of a life. Maybe it's adultery right now. Maybe for some of you, you're in a marriage that you go, ah, it's just not working for me and I don't get what I used to get out of it and they don't love me like they should or they don't respect me like they should and, and, you, and you're talking with somebody at your workplace or you're talking with somebody online and you're going down this road and, and maybe people have shared with you, hey, you better stop. Maybe even you reading out of the Bible, you better stop. Maybe you've been at a church service and you felt that conviction. You better stop. Put the brakes on. It's going to ruin your life. Because I say this a lot. The grass always appears greener on the other side until you're standing on it and you realize you're next to a septic tank. So the point is, <laughs> there's a warning sign and there's a reason for that. Maybe some of you are skirting that line right now. Maybe it's a financial God's putting up a stop and you're, oh, I feel like this is just a great decision. I'm just going to go ahead and go with it. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And, and God is bringing some things into your life to say, would you think this through? You haven't prayed about it. You haven't asked him what he wants to do. Maybe it's anger. Maybe for some of you, you've had a moment of embarrassment that you went, oh my goodness, that was humiliating. Maybe for some of you, it's gotten more than that. It's turned into something physical. Maybe you've said some things. Maybe you've damaged some relationships because your anger is out of control and God is bringing you a little stop sign, maybe a big one, and saying, stop going down this road. If you don't fix this, it's going to become a huge problem. You've got to turn. David repented. He turned the other direction from what he was about to do, and he went back home. And maybe that's what God's asking of you. Maybe it's lust. Maybe for you today, it's lust. It's pornography. And you keep hopping on your computer and you can't figure out, why do I have all these viruses? Maybe that's God's sign to you to say, knock it off, stop. It's going to ruin your life. It's going to mess up your sexuality and your viewpoint of other people. It's not the way that he intended it to be. Stop. Maybe it's in just your marriage personally, just some behavioral things. Maybe it's in your parenting. Maybe for you young people, it's with your relationship with your parents. Maybe it's with the relationship right now that God is saying it's time to reconcile. If you keep going down this road, it's just going to get worse. And I just wonder if maybe for a few of us here today, and maybe it's this moment right now, that God is saying, please, I love you too much to not say anything. I'm giving you a warning. Don't train wreck your life. Because I'm going to tell you something. There are people, unfortunately, in our church experience right now that could share with you. They had warning signs long before and they made some choices that train wrecked their life, that if they could go back and do it over, they would have listened differently. And if I can be honest with you, I'm tired of seeing, not tired, I'm, I'm pained in seeing people who are repeating the patterns of other couples who do the same garbage. Drunkenness just is running rampant. Adultery running rampant. All this junk amongst Christian people. And I'm not saying that's the multitude. But I think for some of us, God is saying, read the warning sign. Don't do it. Because you're going to wreck your life, David, or wreck your life, fill in the blank. I care about you guys. I love you. I'm not standing up here because I want to pound on you today. I, can't, I stand up here because I want to spare you from messing up something that God wants to give you. Is this making sense right now? I feel like I'm just yapping. Yield. Thank you. Who said that? <laughs> you're on staff. You're on staff. Hey, come on. <laughs> just kidding. But maybe this is your moment that God is saying, stop. Last thing, I'll close with this. Trust God and wait for him to work. Trust God and wait on him to work. David was enraged. He wanted to take out his anger on Nabal. He's like, that guy is a fool. He doesn't give me what I deserve. But he's prevented by Abigail from doing that. He heeds her warning. He listens to the voice of God. And then God takes care of it himself. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Just because you have an enemy doesn't mean that, hey, I'm just trusting the Lord to take him out. That's not how this works, okay? So 
but he has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. That there's a point where David comes to, he says, God, I'm gonna trust that guy and his behaviors is in your hands. Vengeance is yours, it's not mine. And let's just be honest, there are people that have wronged us and people that have hurt us that I'm sure you would like to give them a piece of your mind or you'd like to do back to them what they've done to you. And I'm going to be honest, there are times, I've not very often, but there's some, been some stuff posted about myself or our church on Facebook that I, trust me, everything in me wants to go, oh yeah? <laughs> oh, I can type, baby. 140 words a minute on that moment, right? I would just be moving. God says, Brian, Brian, warning sign, don't do it. Just let him handle your cause. And I, I do want to share this. I'm not talking about abuse or sexual abuse. There are certain things there. I'm not talking about being a doormat for people. Please hear me out. But David was irate because a guy insulted him and wanted to turn around and murder. That's not the right response. Trust God to do his work. Proverbs 20, says this, do not say I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. So I just ask, are you running on emotions today? Are you a little bit more like Nabal? Or are you a little bit more like Abigail? Or maybe you're in a moment like David that you're about to make some decisions. And here's the truth. What if David would have done the very thing that he wanted to do? For the rest of his days, he would have been looked at as a murderer of innocent people. And ultimately, David does make some terrible decisions in his life that he does become known as a murderer. But God wants to spare him from that garbage. He wants to spare you from that garbage too. And there's one last scene that, not necessarily in this story, but in the big picture of the scriptures that I think that we have to take into account here. Because the truth of the matter is you represent somebody in this story and it's probably not the person that you want to represent. It's Nabal. And the truth is that each and every one of us have been foolish. We have disobeyed God. We've turned our back towards God. We've done what we've wanted to do. We've broken God's standards. We've lived our own ways, whether that's stealing or swearing, talking poorly about people, gossip, whether that's anger in our hearts or actually murdering somebody. You can go down the list of a million things, and truth of the matter is you could probably pick something out today that you've broken God's standards with because we're all guilty of it. And we have been fools. And the truth is that God's wrath which is justified because of our sin, is coming upon us. We deserve eternal separation from God because of our behaviors. But just like Abigail was a mediator, Jesus Christ is our mediator. He's the one who stands in the gap for us. And he gave his life on a tree, on a cross, and was the perfect sacrifice and so, just as we celebrated in baptism today, that when I put my faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I don't have to worry about God's wrath upon me any longer because God treats me as a son that is covered by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and I don't have to fear. I can approach the throne of grace with freedom and confidence, not because I'm that good, but because Jesus is that good, and he paid the price for me. And so you may be here today and that may be the step of wisdom that you need to take, of inviting Jesus Christ and receiving him to be your Lord and Savior, that you will put your faith, that that sacrifice makes you right with God because the truth be told, and this is not me saying that it's the Bible, that if we don't have a relationship with him, that if we have not put our faith in Jesus Christ, that our destination is not an eternity with God, but an eternity separated from him because of our sin. So why wouldn't you move into that today? He's paid the price for you. All he says is receive the gift that I'm giving. And if that's you, in a moment, we're gonna say a prayer that you can start that journey today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Father, I just wanna thank you for the stories 3,000 years ago that still have so much application for each and every one of us today. And God, how you were working back then is a lot how you work with us now. So I pray for some of us in here right now that maybe if we're honest, we're a little bit more like Nabal. How we treat people, 
how we are generous or not generous, the decisions that we make, our arrogance. God, we've just, we're living a foolish life. And I pray for us today that maybe if we're honest about that, that we would walk out of here seeking something different. Lord, I pray that we would all represent Abigail and have a wisdom that is both humble and active. It's doing something and it's living it out that is wanting to honor you. And God, how you rewarded that in her life. We believe how you'll reward it in ours as well. And God, I pray for some of us who may be in the spot of David, that we're allowing emotions of fear or worry or anger or hatred of lust, whatever it may be, God, to lead us down some paths that if we keep playing the movie forward, it's gonna train wreck our lives. Lord, I pray that we would take your warning signs now and pump on the brakes, stop, turn back to you. God, that we would listen and that we would guard our emotions, that we would seek you in prayer before we respond in every way. And God, in the midst of it all, we trust you, that we would leave things in your hands, that you are the biggest, you are the capable judge. And you're gonna work things in a way that is right and it is just. We can trust that. And maybe you're here right now, and if you're honest, you just have to say to yourself, I'm not sure I, I'm not even sure I've got a relationship with God. But there's something at work in your heart, and I'd say it's the Spirit of God working in you right now that's saying it's time to make that decision. And if that's you, I want to encourage you, don't leave this place before you settle that. If you want to begin a relationship with God today, I would encourage you maybe to pray something like this in your heart. God, I need you. I've been running from you for too long. And today I want to turn back to you. I know I've sinned. I've messed up. But I believe Jesus came and he died for those sins. And today I put my faith in Jesus. And I ask you to come into my life and give me a brand new start and transform me and help me to walk in wisdom and keep me from train wrecking my life. Thanks for loving me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.